Good morning. My name is Matt Sprinkle, and I'm the associate pastor here at Church in the Valley, and I'm going to be wrapping up our series, The Greatest of All Time. We're going to begin by reading a couple passages from the scriptures. You can read along with me in Matthew 26, 36 through 45. Then Jesus went with him to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watchful with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Sleep, and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Later on, the account of his crucifixion in Luke. Two other men, both of them criminals, were also let out to be put to death with Jesus. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there, and the two criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. They divided his clothes among themselves by throwing dice. In our world, we love experts, successful people, first in show, the best in class. We watch the Oscars and the Emmys and the Super Bowl, We're interested in who's won the Nobel Prize. We're proud of our doctors and our experts, our specialists. In sports, you call these players the greatest of all time, or the GOAT. Athletes love to study the game film of their favorite sports hero, studying their moves, imitating their style, so that they can be just like them. And we do this too. We're all looking for men and women who can show us how to live well, how to face our challenges and overcome them, how to be happy, how to be successful, how to be rich, get into college, how to get the girl or get the guy. Whichever arena of life that you're facing, when you read someone's book or when you watch their video, subscribe to their channel or follow their posts, you're putting your confidence in these people to one degree or another. Those you listen to, those you learn from, those you imitate, these are your goats your greatest of all time. So who is your goat in life? We need to take this question extremely seriously. We need to spend time considering this question. What about your kids? Who are their heroes? Who are their friends' heroes? Who are the influencers in their lives? And what are they teaching them? You've heard it said, pick your friends, pick your future. It's equally true, pick your goat, pick your gods. Because everyone is worshiping something. Everyone has a God that they're serving. And the heroes that our culture follows, the goats of our society, they have gods of their own. 
And as we drink down their teachings, as we copy and imitate their example, we are also learning how to worship their gods. So in this series, we've been looking at what the scripture says about who the greatest of all time is. Surprise, surprise, it's Jesus. Jesus is our model, our teacher, our master instructor. He is the perfect man, the one and only human being, who was all that God created us to be, the perfect image bearer of God. He teaches us how to worship the Father in grace and truth. He, Jesus, is fully human, just like you and me. He faced everything we face. He grew in grace and knowledge. He grew in the virtues that we must grow in. Yet, he was without sin. And he experienced all the emotions, all the pain and sorrow, hope and joy that you and I face. This morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus and his humanity from the angle of emotions. We're going to be looking at Jesus' humanity from the angle of emotions. Because Jesus is the dove. The first week we saw Jesus as the lion. The perfect harmonization of boldness and humility. Last week we saw that Jesus is the lamb. The perfect harmonization of holiness and love. And this week we see Jesus is the dove. He displays for us an emotional life. That is the perfect harmony of hope and peace, joy and sorrow. When it comes to well-ordered emotions, we don't find anyone who can compare to Jesus. In him, we find no emotional disorder at all. No off notes. If we compared emotions to music, Jesus' music, well, he would be a one-man symphony. The rhythm of his song would be perfect peace. In music, the rhythm is the beat. And the rhythm of Jesus' emotions was perfect peace. In music, there's something called harmony. And it supports the melody. The harmony in Jesus' life was hope. He was full of hope. Regardless of the circumstance, that harmony of hope never, ever turned down. And the melody of his inner life, the ups and downs, the tune that we all remember, the melody, the melody of his inner life would sometimes rise in joy and sometimes fall in sorrow. Jesus' emotions were a symphony of sound. Have you ever noticed that? The, perfect, the, the perfection of Jesus' emotions? Study his life. Listen to his words. Watch him get emotional before us as we read and and, and look at the accounts of his life. There's never a false note. Listen to his pity for the weak. It's never flat. It's never too low. Dropping down into contempt for the person's weakness or failures. Listen to his anger. It's never sharp. It's never too high. Giving way to the excesses of malice and rage. His emotional life was always pitch perfect. Perfect timing, perfect tone, perfect timbre, not a single discordant sound. Now, how can this be? How can he be this way? Because Jesus and Jesus alone is the human being that all of us were created to be like. 
He experienced all the emotions common to man, but he was without sin, without discord. Now, do you want Jesus to teach you how to be like that? Do you want Jesus to teach you how to make that kind of a music with your emotions? To have that that rhythm of peace and the harmony of hope so that whether it's the melody high of joy or low of sorrow, there's never a discordant sound. If you do, you have to ask him. You have to study him. You have to become his student. He has to become your instructor. And Jesus, he can teach you about all emotions because he felt them all. He felt love. Love for the Father. Love love for that rich young ruler who just wanted eternal life. But Jesus, he didn't let his love get consumed by controlling. Right? He never loved somebody so much that he had to make sure they did the right thing because, you know, I just love you too much to let you do bad things. When that rich young ruler left Jesus because he was rich and he didn't want to give up his money, Jesus didn't chase him. He didn't force him. He didn't guilt him. His love never gave way to this kind of controlling emotion. He was full of peace. In the middle of the storm, his disciples were freaking out on the boat, and he's asleep on a cushion in the front. And when he wakes up, he doesn't lose control. He doesn't panic. And he can calm the storm in your emotions. He's the one who can teach you to have perfect peace. He felt compassion for the blind who just wanted to see. He felt pity for the multitudes who didn't have a shepherd. They were like sheep, wandering, hungry, in danger, harried without a shepherd. He felt pity for them. But his pity never, ever dropped down into a kind of contempt for their weakness and failures. He felt zeal and anger when he flipped over the money table and the and he drove out the merchants who were in the temple selling animals. When he drove them out, there was anger and zeal, but it never gave way to malice or uncontrollable rage. He felt indignation at the hard heart of the Pharisees. He felt the pain of betrayal when his disciples fell asleep on him and then when they ran when he was arrested. He was sorrowful, yet never despairing. He was confident that his father would raise him up on the third day. So he faced the sorrow of the cross. He faced the sorrow of this life, but he was full of hope that God would use his death, burial, and resurrection to make it all right. That hope was there, always there. And that gave him his peace. He faced certain death, but he was full of courage. He was loyal, loyal to all of his friends, and they betrayed him. He was loyal, and yet he experienced loneliness, just like you do. And finally, he was joyful in hope, in the knowledge that he would save us all. That, as I said, his death and his burial and his resurrection would wash us of our sins, bring dead men to life, restore broken relationships with the Father, and allow him to transform us into the image bearers of God we were created to be. This is the joy that was set before him. Would you like Jesus to tune your emotions to his perfect pitch? Would you like that? He can teach you. He can transform you. Men, he can help you with your anger and frustration and apathy. Women, he can help you with your fear and exhaustion and anxiety. He can bring order to our emotional disorder. Only Jesus can do this for you. Now look, emotional disorders are a big problem for the human race. 
Emotions are one of the most powerful forces at work in our lives. We all know this. We've all seen the emotional disorder in a child who's flipping out in a grocery store, who's inconsolable in his rage because he's lost a game or he doesn't get his way. Children can be paralyzed by the overwhelming fear and terror of the dark and loneliness, unfamiliar things. It's like living with that that Jaws theme song always playing in the background. Those horrible two notes. Boom, 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 boom. Children feel fear, sometimes irrational fear, and it just it paralyzes them. Emotions are powerful. We all know this is true. Some kids break things. And when you investigate why, they're like, we were just having fun. We were just laughing. It was just a lot of fun. And, and then it broke. You know, it's like it's like a theme song for the Lego movie. Everything is awesome is playing in their minds. And they're just, they're just singing along and they're breaking stuff. And when that happens, well, it can cause us some serious pain. I remember when I was a kid, I had a babysitter named Debbie. And we were watching Sesame Street. And this guy was talking really fast, and there was all these funny things he was doing, and he was throwing papers all over his office, and he was answering the phone and slamming the phone, and he was drinking coffee, and it was spilling all over his shirt because he was just moving crazy, and all the kids were laughing. So I thought I'd be funny. I, I wanted to laugh. I wanted them to laugh at me. I was getting all worked up. So I went over to the toys, and I started throwing them, just like he was doing. But one of those toys hit a vase on the mantle and then shattered on the bricks below. And when I turned around, those kids were gone. I mean, it was crazy. They must have hit under the couch or like went up into the ceiling tiles because there was nobody but me. And then I turned this way, and there's Debbie. She's looking right down at me. And, man, I got a spanking that day that was so hard. I think my kids felt it. And all I was doing was just going along with the emotions. Now, as adults, we think that kids are going to grow out of this. But we don't actually grow out of this, Right? These are things that we just get more clever at excusing and hiding. But our emotions, are, when, they are, when our emotions are disordered, uh, we, just, we make mistakes. When our emotions are disordered and we act on them, we miss out on what God wants to do in our lives. I remember that I was, um, I was at a technology conference. My, my brother-in-law and I started a company called PrayBuzz. We created a prayer app. And we went up to Silicon Valley to this hackathon with all these other Christian uh, web companies. And the idea was you would meet people with money and they would um, fund your project or they would help you build uh, your network or maybe they had some users who could use your app. And we were there for two days and we were showing people PrayBuzz and it was just rejection after rejection. Nobody wanted to um, invest in it and nobody wanted to uh, support it. And I got really discouraged. And so I went to a room and I was praying and asking God, like, you know, what are we doing here? I'm spending the money, I'm, I'm missing my family, I'm taking time off work, you know, why are we here? And from the word of God, it was clear that God was telling me to wait, to stay there, that he was going to take care of us. But I got discouraged, I ignored what God said, I gave in to the emotions of frustration, and we left early. A couple days later, I was looking online, and there in the, uh, the feed... Uh, the social media feed was a picture of these two guys holding a huge check for several thousand dollars. They were first in class when it comes to prayer apps. They won the prayer app money. But here's the funny thing. They didn't have a prayer app. They didn't have a single line of code. They were at a table right across from us. And all they had was a concept, an idea that they were really excited about, but they had nothing. We had a fully functioning app that you could use on your desktop, on your phone, uh, that, that was already, they already had several thousand users. 
And if we would have just stayed as God had told us to do, we would have gotten some of that money, maybe all that money. But I listened to my emotions, and I missed what God wanted me to do. Our emotions, disordered, can cause us real trouble. So who can teach us how to order our emotions well? So that they're the right ones, at the right time, in the right amount. I mean, did you know that there are right and wrong emotions, good and bad emotions? Now, there are all kinds of emotions, but you could categorize emotions into three basic colors, right? There are the green emotions. These are the emotions that we all want, like happiness, right? Joy. Um, What else do we want? Serenity, comfort, power, love, peace. Well, then there's emotions that you could classify as red emotions. These are the the bad emotions. These are the ones that we never want to have, like terror and rage and bitterness. Emotions like contempt, malice, lust, sadness. And then there's emotions that you could really categorize in either green or red, depending on the circumstance. These are the it-depends emotions. These are the orange emotions. For example, in some situations, it's appropriate to feel fear. In some situations, it's appropriate to feel anger. some situations, it's appropriate to feel sadness, hatred, sorrow, guilt, and even shame. So the question is, who taught you your emotional colors? Are you classifying the emotions that you're feeling correctly? How do you know if you're classifying them correctly? Who is qualified to teach you the truth about emotions so that you can teach your children and your grandchildren so that as we disciple the nations, we can teach them what the green, red, and orange emotions truly are? Someone is going to teach you how to color your emotions. The question is, who? Who is your goat? So again, who's qualified to teach you how to classify your emotions? Hollywood celebrities, Oprah, the Dalai Lama? If you listen to the world, you're going to fall into one of two camps. You're going to join one of two schools. There are two basic schools of thought when it comes to emotions. The first is the Stoics, and the second are the Hedonists. Now the Stoics, they're all about stuffing it down. They're all about cutting it off, denying it, control. Don't let those emotions out. Stoics advise you to amputate, meditate, and if nothing works, medicate. Amputate, meditate, and medicate. In the ancient world, when Christianity was started, the Romans were very stoic. They were all about suppressing emotion. Today, in our science fiction world, you can think of Spock in Star Trek. All reason, no emotion. Or the Jedi in Star Wars, always meditating and controlling their emotions. And if you look around, online especially, millions of young men are drinking down the teachings of modern-day Stoics. Men like Jordan Peterson, Jocko Willink, Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro. They say things like, facts don't care about your feelings, right? Stand up straight with your shoulders back. Pick yourself up, man. Put yourself together. Their message is basically, you have inside of yourself everything you need to make yourself who you need to be. And when you have feelings, you need to, you need to stuff those down. You need to cut those off. Now, the Stoic approach, it leads us to have contempt for the weak, to have impatience with people. 
And it leads to a kind of emotional amputation where we're just chopping off what's really true about us inside. And what you stuff down inside is going to come back out. What you don't express with words, you're going to express with actions. So this isn't a good approach. In the East, they have Stoics, like Buddha. Buddha taught that there were four noble truths in this life. To live is to suffer. And why do you suffer? Because you desire. Your feelings cause you to suffer. So how do you get rid of suffering? You stop desiring. That's the third noble truth. You stop having these feelings. You meditate them away. And then you're going to reach moksha, nirvana, oneness with the universe. And so you go off into a, a temple. You become a monk. right? You meditate. You suppress the emotion. You get rid of the thought. And this is how you break yourself free from the suffering cycle of life. Now, whether it's a Western Stoic or an Eastern Stoic, it's the same thing. Amputate. Meditate. And then today in our world, if that doesn't work, meditate. Medicate. That's how you deal with your emotions. And that's why millions of young boys over the last 30 years have been basically sedated at school so that they can be made docile and controllable because the schools don't really know, know what to do with their emotions. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, the other school is the hedonist school. And the hedonists, they say, let it go, just like Elsa. Just let it go, okay? And when you let it go, that means that things are going to start burning down. That means there's going to be real trouble. When you let go of your emotions, there's chaos. Letting go of your emotions is like letting go of the, letting go of the steering wheel on the freeway. It's not going to work. When you let go of your emotions, it leads to addiction, depression. And when groups of people let go of their emotions, you get mob violence. That's what happened this last year and a half. You know why the cities were burning down all over the country? Because you had thousands of men and women letting go of their emotions, giving full vent to their rage, and that led to violence. So consider, when it comes to emotions, are you more of a stoic or are you more of a hedonist? What we need is someone who is not going to teach us to suppress our emotions like the Stoics do or just let them go like the hedonists do, but someone who can teach us how to name our emotions, sort our emotions, and, and deal and express our emotions in a way that is godly. So who is the most emotionally well-adjusted person who's ever lived? That would be Jesus of Nazareth. Listen to what the scriptures say about Jesus in Hebrews 12, 2-3. First it says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's our leader and instructor. There is no one greater than the Lord Jesus, and so we make him our leader and our instructor. We keep our eyes on him. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterwards. He knew that he was going to experience joy. Therefore, he was willing to experience shame. Jesus' emotions are ordered properly. We're not going to avoid fear. We're not going to avoid sorrow, grief, and shame in this life. But the Lord can teach you how to deal with these emotions in a healthy way. For the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. And now where is he at? Now he sits in the place of honor by the throne of God. If you want to be kept from becoming faint-hearted and weary, if you want to be kept from becoming faint-hearted and weary, think about his patience as sinful men did such terrible things to him. You know what the reason, you know why it matters 
that we pay attention to our emotions. Do you know why we need to be focusing on this topic today? Because when you don't have a well-ordered emotional state, you become weary and you become faint-hearted. And then you lose faith and you take off. You decide it doesn't work, God isn't going to help me, and you stop walking in faith. And that just brings all sorts of pain and trouble into your life. You don't want to become faint-hearted or weary. How do you, how do you avoid being faint-hearted and weary? What does it say? Think about his patience. Think about what Jesus went through. Now, when we think about what Jesus went through, that brings, that brings us to the passages that we read at the beginning of this message. What do we see Jesus doing in the Garden of Gethsemane? In that wine press, that's what Gethsemane means. It's, it's the place where they crush the olives so that they could get the, the oil that represented purification, anointing, when the temple priests used the oil. This was the place that the olives were pressed. And isn't it fitting that this is the place that the Lord Jesus was crushed under the pressure, under the sorrow, under the weariness and the dread, to the point that he was sweating blood. He sweat drops of blood because of the pressure that he felt emotionally. He's looking at the full wrath of God that's about to be poured out on him. He is going to receive the righteous punishment for all the sins that we have ever committed or that we ever will commit. The full 100%, 180-proof wrath of God. He knows that's what's coming. And he is being crushed by it. Do you ever feel fear? Do you ever feel sorrow? Have you ever felt a, a dread and a, a depression so deep and dark it feels like it's going to swallow you whole? Who can teach you how to face that honestly but not run and shrink back? Jesus didn't run. His sorrow and pain didn't give way to despair. Yes, his sorrow caused him to fall on his knees but somehow he got back up full of courage, full of hope. He got up, ready to face his foes, endure his trial. And he can teach you how to do that too. His friends, they fell asleep twice. All he told them to do was stay awake and pray. They were going to be tempted too. They were going to face a trial just like him. He said, pray so that God will strengthen you. Because I know you want to, but you're emotionally weak. You're going to be freaking out in fear, and you're going to run. When that trial hits you, when you're tempted, when they come to arrest me, if you aren't ready, you're going to fail. Jesus comes back to them, and they're asleep. They have, they have not stayed up with him. Now, how would you feel? But how does he respond to them? He responds with care and concern. He's telling them to pray because he doesn't want them to fail and fall. They've disappointed him, but he's loving them. His love swallows up his disappointment. And then on the cross. I mean, they're nailing him on the cross. These Roman guards who are murdering Jesus, he is willingly dying for them. He's dying for the men who are murdering him. And while they're murdering him and while he's hanging on the cross, they're playing lotto with his clothes. That would be like a cop taking the death penalty for a criminal that he arrested. And that criminal is the one administering the lethal injection. And while the cop is slowly dying, he's watching the criminal raffle off his gun and badge. That's what this is like. Now, if you were hanging on the cross, watching these people do this to you, 
How would you feel? How would you feel? How, what would you say? Right? Father, take these fools out. Right? You'd go Iron Man on them. I am the God man. Snap and make these people disappear. But that's not what he does. Instead, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He prays for them. Now, what? How does he... Who is this guy? Right? (laughs) This scene in the crucifixion has always been one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. This right here makes Jesus worthy of our emulation and worship. I want to be like this. Don't you? I want that heart. I want that emotional integrity. I I want to be able to respond in a situation like that. I want that for me and my kids. I want that for my wife. I want that for you. Don't you? Isn't that something you want? Jesus is the one who can teach us. I know there's a lot of great people in this world. They're smarter. They're more righteous than me. They're more generous, more patient than me. There is no one in this world like Jesus. There never was, and there never will be again. He is the greatest man of all time. From birth to death to resurrection to ascension, there is no one like our Lord Jesus. He is the goat. And unlike the great men and women in the past, he's alive. He's not dead, he's alive. And he's present in my life and in your life through the Holy Spirit. He's always with us. You know how we know? Because he said, I will always be with you. And that means he's with us today and tomorrow and next week and next year. And he is transforming us through his spirit, through his word, with his church, day by day. He's making us glorious as he is glorious. We can partake of his divine nature because he partook of our human nature. We can become what he is. Like he is, because he became like what we are. This is the hope we have when we follow Jesus. He can transform the tune of your heart. Jesus can give us his rhythm, which is perfect peace. No matter what the circumstance is, there's a bass note, that constant beat of peace, and it never goes away. Do you want that? Jesus has that. He can give that to you. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You want to see what this verse looks like? Watch the life of Jesus. At no point does he ever lose that perfect peace. He teaches us his harmony, which is hope. He teaches us how, regardless of how bad it looks, the the, the things that disappoint us, we can always have hope because we know how the story ends. We can always have hope because we have seen God raise Christ from the dead, which means sin and death and Satan has no hold over us. We have hope because we know that our God is good. He's all-powerful. He loves us. He knows what's going on, which means there's no reason and there's no place that he can't take care of us. This hope is always, always the harmony, supporting the melody of our life. And sometimes the melody goes up. It's joyful. And sometimes the melody goes down and there's sorrow. But guess what? Jesus is singing the melody with us. It's a duet. That's what it means to be equally yoked. That's what it means to yoke yourself to Christ. When you hear Jesus say in Matthew eleven twenty eight, you know, learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he's talking about is pulling together. 
Well, emotionally, we are singing together. We learn to express the right emotions at the right time in the right volume in the right amount. Here we have a man who is familiar with sorrow, acquainted with grief, yet he was always full of hope and peace. So how can I become the kind of person whose emotions make that kind of music? Different moments in life, they call for different melodies, but that harmony of hope, that rhythm of peace, that can be yours if you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. He can teach you how to sing. He taught Paul. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 11, 4 through 13. I am not saying this because I feel neglected, for I have learned to be satisfied with what I have. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have more than enough. I have learned the secret so that anywhere, at any time, I am content. I have joy. I have hope. I have peace. Whether I'm full or hungry, whether I have too much or too little, I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. Jesus taught Paul to sing this way. No matter what the circumstances were, Paul had peace, Paul had hope. Whether there was highs of joy or lows of sorrow, regardless of the melody of his life, he had the secret of being content in every situation. Have you learned that secret from Jesus? Have you asked him for this power? Never. I've never asked him, but I want to. Or maybe your answer is, not in a long time, but I'm ready. How do I get him to give it to me? We don't get him to. We ask him to. We ask the Lord Jesus to teach us. But first, you must do what he has already told you to do. You have to do what he's already told you to do. So first of all, receive his words and put them into practice. Make him your goat. Forsake all rivals. Do what he's already told you to do through sermons, Bible readings. Set your eyes on Jesus. Make him your instructor, as Hebrews says. Make Jesus the model for your emotions and imitate him. In your handout, you have a list of all the emotions, several emotions that Jesus felt, the exact place in the scripture where these emotions were expressed. You should study them. You should watch them like highlight reels, like athletes when they watch an all-star game and all the best, all the best clips. You should watch and read and imitate. The second thing you can do is sing the Psalms. Sing the Psalms and ask the Lord to tune your emotions to his. Whatever you're feeling... There is a song for that. The Psalms teach you to sing through suffering and sorrow. The Psalms express the full range of emotions that we have as human beings. In fact, on the cross, it was the Psalms that Jesus was quoting. All throughout his life, the book of the Bible that Jesus quotes the most from are the Psalms. This is the song book of the Spirit. And God will tune your emotions to his as you sing the Psalms to him. If you need help with that, ask Andy and Shane, our worship leaders. They can help you. They can give you some great psalms to sing. And finally, be open and honest about your emotions with the body. If you choose to be a stoic, you can't get upset when people don't know and people aren't helping you. I hear all the time, nobody cares about me. Nobody's asking about me. This church isn't interested in helping me. But here's the thing. We can't care about what you conceal. We can only care about what you reveal. You have to be open and honest about what you're really feeling. 
If you'll do that, which is what the Lord calls us to do, then God will begin to work on your emotions and help you order them like his. Then as you do these things, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus, he will correct you. He'll tell you what to do. He'll give you the power that you need. Do you see the supremacy of Christ? Do you see why no man or woman can even compare to him? No one is greater able to teach you how to be the best you. He can bring out all that God has poured into you. He can transform you into the glorious image bearer of God that you were created to be. And why can he do this? Because that's what he is. The one and only son of God the Father. He is the greatest of all time. So if you see his glory, if you see his worthiness of worship, his worthiness to be imitated, exalted, praised, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to express your faith in action? I have a suggestion. Decide today, once and for all, to make Jesus your master. Make him your instructor. And if you are already a follower of Christ, but you've been disloyal, confess. Confess your sin and repent and begin again. Make him the captain of your soul. And he's going to teach you how to navigate the stormy seas of your emotions. Thank God for revealing Christ's glory to you, for showing you that he really is the goat. Thank God for this and then respond by giving him your loyalty and your life. He is the path to peace, the way to the truth about life, the king of kings. He is alive and he loves you. He was forsaken so that you could be accepted. He drank down all our sorrows so that we could have all of his joy and all of his hope and his perfect peace. He is our goat and we are his disciples. Would you pray with me? Father, your son, the Lord Jesus, is the greatest of all time. He is the perfect image bearer of God, the perfect man. We thank you that you have become a human being, Lord Jesus, that you took on flesh, that you suffered all we suffered, that you know all that we experienced, that you felt all that we felt, and that you provide for us a perfect picture of what it means to be a human. We ask that you would change us and transform us, that you would tune our emotions to yours, that you would give us your rhythm of peace, your harmony of hope. And as the melody of our life rises in joy and falls in sorrow, that you would teach us how to harmonize them all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.